Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. With me, your host, Louise Rumble, and my co-host, Dr. Massimo Fontana, clinical sexologist. If you haven't already gone back in our back catalogue to get into some of our juicy, juicy sex episodes already, then I would really, really advise you to do that because there is already so much ground that we have covered talking about the foundations of how we have sex today as a society, what is going right, and more often, what is going wrong. Now today, we're going to be talking about how sex is something that very clearly happens in our bodies. But despite it being something that happens in our bodies, we so often are in our heads. Now, I'm going to be the first person to say here that I am a very head-based person. Like I get very in my head. I get very anxious about things. The second that I wake up, my brain is going, you know, like got to do this, got to do that. That person didn't do that. I haven't done that. And I find that that really translates into the bedroom. And honestly, sometimes I feel like I will still be running through my 270 point to-do list when I'm engaging in foreplay. So for me, I find it really, really hard to switch off, to jump out of that focus mode and to really relax, lay back and enjoy having sex. Today, we're going to be jumping into this with no shame, no judgment and just an open discussion around why we get so in our head and what to do about it so it can stop impacting your sex life. So Massimo, why are we so in our heads today? As humans, the reason that we spend a lot of time in our heads rather than our body is actually simpler than you think. We're socially conditioned to move away from our body and the emotions it carries towards language. This is where we start moving into the headspace and away from the body. We eventually move so much into the headspace that we forget how to trust our bodies and what it's communicating. So when we're faced with a situation in which we have to be completely present and in our bodies, because this is largely where we experience pleasure, Our heads are having an all singing and dancing competition as to who needs to be listened to. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense to me because what I feel like is I want to be there in that moment. Like I want to be connecting. I want to be experiencing that pleasure. That's what my body wants. Yet my head sometimes is thinking, oh my God, you didn't email that person. You didn't let the dog out. And all of a sudden, when you're like in your head thinking about logistics, it really takes away from the whole experience. There was an amazing research study done in 1991 where scientists found that our hearts consist of very specialized cells that form a neural network called sensory neurites. Now, these are brain-like cells, but not in the brain. They're found in the heart. What they found was that each human being has two experiences of a situation. They have the experience in the headspace and they have the experience in the heart space. 
And what this suggests is that if we're only processing things in our head, we're avoiding another very important part of ourselves, and that's in the heart space. The minute we tap into anxiety, it only prompts us to withdraw when in actual fact we're wanting to engage. But if we don't learn how to do somatic work and bring ourselves back into the body again, we're only doing half the job. Let's just start with this concept of being in your head when having sex and how it can actually have a lot of negative impact. So I'd love it if you could just give me a little intro to, I guess, some of the problems that we can experience if we're in our head rather than in our body when having sex. Being in your head rather than in your body when having sex is almost certainly going to lead to a wide array of follow-on impacting situations like increased anxiety, performance anxiety, pressure to orgasm, distraction, detachment from self and your partner, and disconnection from pleasure, and even the concept of spectatoring as well. I think that's really interesting what you've said about spectatoring, because I think this is quite an abstract concept, and I don't even know if I know what spectatoring is, so I look forward to us going into that a little bit more. Is it that kind of moment where you're analytically thinking, he's going down on me, rather than like physically being lost in the, oh, the pleasure. Is that kind of what spectatoring is? Absolutely. I think you actually have it very correct there. And another way of looking at it is when we're watching sports, we're all spectators in that sense. So when we're watching a game presenting in front of us, we're watching every movement and nuance that's happening within that particular game. So if we're talking about the sexual game, we now become a spectator, but in the negative sense that we're watching every single nuance and movement and analyzing it and passing judgment. And that's where I think we get it very wrong. The minute we start bringing in judgment into that space, that's when it becomes almost like a performance issue. I also think that what I find is that when I'm in my head and when I'm spectatoring, I guess as well, you are thinking about the end goal a lot more than just being present and embodied in the pleasure. And I think that this is something that I've spoken to tons of people around is the pressure to reach orgasm. If I get in my head, the second that I start thinking about like, oh, this feels really good, but I I don't think I'm going to come in this position or, oh my goodness, like, okay, this feels good, but uh, I think it needs to feel better because I've only got 20 minutes. So if I need to come like this, I need to do this. And I think that that part of the anxiety as well as something that maybe isn't spoken about, like climax anxiety. I don't even know if that's if that's a concept or if, you know, yeah, it is. I can see Massimo nodding for anyone that's listening. And it's something that we've spoken about in past episodes before that sex and intimacy should not have orgasm as an end goal. And being with a really healthy, loving, intimate partner now, it's definitely reduced that anxiety for me which is just, I'm going to enjoy every moment of this pleasure. And if it leads to an orgasm, that's amazing. And if it doesn't, then that's great as well. You know, I will have just experienced these moments. But I'd love to talk about the connection between climax anxiety and being in your head. Is there some sort of link here, which is like the likelihood of orgasm is related to feeling safe and to feeling relaxed and being in our bodies. And if we're in our head, it sort of makes it harder to climax. It absolutely is a thing. And I think I think the word that I would use there is pressure. And one of the questions I would always ask the couple and individually is, where is the pressure coming from? So is the pressure self-inflicted or is the pressure coming from your partner? And that allows us the opportunity to take a stance of making sense of how we're experiencing things in the bedroom. 
And I loved what you said before about, you know, when, when you're talking about orgasm with your partner and experiencing that, there's no real expectation or pressure coming from your partner. And that is something that I think we all need to disable within the relationship. It's what are we doing right here? We're trying to actually be as present as possible with one another and enjoy it as though it was our last moment. I love the analogy of eating an ice cream. You know, if we go and buy an ice cream together, you want to be savoring every single bit of that ice cream from the moment you start until you finish eating the cone, right? So it's not you're trying to force yourself to finish through one stage of that process, but you're going to enjoy the whole process. So why can't we do the same thing in the bedroom? I'm obsessed with that ice cream analogy because I also feel like eating an ice cream is akin to sex because eating an ice cream is so fucking messy. You never know really what's what's going to happen with an ice cream. Is the whole thing going to fall off? You know, that's like the analogy of losing an erection, right? The whole ice cream can just like fall off and hit the floor. You know, maybe the cone will get a bit soggy. You, you kind of never really know like what's going to happen. So I, I really, really love that analogy. And I think you're so right that to anyone listening, for me, removing the pressure from orgasm in the bedroom has been revolutionary for me to be able to engage in pleasure and intimacy and to get out of my head. Because honestly, I think before, like when I'm in my head, when I'm stressed, which is all the time, my libido just literally shuts off. But what I've learned since being with my partner is once we've removed that pressure, the pressure that this has to be a full 30 minute sexual experience, the pressure that we both have to orgasm, but just being able to take that pressure off means that sometimes we will be intimate in the middle of the working day, you know, and have a really amazing experience. Or I might just enjoy that experience for what it is, five minutes of pleasure with no orgasm at the end. So I really love what we're talking about, about removing the pressure and asking, where does that pressure come from? Is it coming from you or is it coming from your partner? And I think going and deconstructing that is a really, really important way of thinking and understanding why we get in our heads. I think one of the reasons is that we've constructed a society that really focuses on performance, I think, too much. Everything that we do is performance-based. We want to be the best at our game. We want to be the most successful in what we do. That naturally trickles down into pretty much every area of our life. So it's, it's a constant state of competition. And I think the thing that comes up for me is this idea of fear. And what we've done is with performance anxiety or performance as such, we've started connecting it with fear. And if you really start unpacking this idea of where fear comes from, we only have two innate fears. The one is the fear of falling and the other one is the fear of loud noises. So the caveman analogy, once again, is an amazing one because they would really only have two scenarios that they would really be worrying about. All the rest would be just a process of living life. It would be a process of being very intimately in that experience and enmeshed in that experience and they wouldn't be thinking about anything else it's like if they were hungry they would do whatever was necessary to go and find the thing that would feed their hunger and i guess the way that i would describe them there is that it's it's very primal and i think when we step into the primal space within ourselves and especially our sexuality we do switch off from all the worrying and I think that that is one of the biggest problems in today's society is that so many of us are living and functioning in a low level of fight or flight that it's become a state of normal for us. Fight or flight in the caveman days should only have been saved for when that tiger appeared at the cave and, you know, you were running away from it or trying to kill it. But today, everything is stressful. You know, every time I get an email or I hear a ping, 
I feel like I'm very sensitive to those cues. So I now understand that just because you're not experiencing a huge stress, which also so many of us are experiencing huge stresses, let's also acknowledge that. I think that we live in this chronic state of slight dysregulation where we have cortisol pumping out around our body, you know, low level cortisol, low level stress. And I think that understanding that dysregulation of the nervous system helps us also to understand probably why we're in our head. And I think understanding that can help us understand that, you know, in those moments that we go into intimacy, in those moments when we might be in our head, when we're thinking, when we're spectatoring, actually what we need to be doing is calming and coming down and regulating and then going into our body and into the concept of embodiment. And I know that in the part two of this episode, we're going to be talking exactly about that. And I'm so, so excited for us to start to move into this somatic space because I've always wanted to take open house there. And I'm so excited for you to be the person to sort of start that journey with us. But yeah, I think that that low level stress is definitely something that keeps us in our head. This is something that's even more severe for people that live with generalized anxiety disorder or, you know, more severe mental health challenges. So I'd love to talk about how that works. You know, I personally have never been on antidepressants for a sustained period of time, but you see all over TikTok people making jokes about having to tell, you know, their new partner, like, oh yeah, don't worry about me. I'm never going to orgasm because I'm basically numb as fuck. So I'd love to just talk about that and how that can impact pleasure, intimacy, and experiences in the bedroom? I would probably say that most people experience a generalized anxiety disorder, if you want to look at it like that. Most people are undiagnosed, but just the work schedule that you were explaining about before would make anybody stressed and anybody sort of face that feeling of having constant anxiety. And there's an interesting analogy where you look at animals in the wild, and if they're grazing nicely, they have peripheral vision, they're able to see things beautifully around them. But the minute a predator comes into their perception, what do they naturally do? They get tunnel vision. And if you're looking at how we're living our lives on a daily basis, we're looking at a phone that's in front of us, we're looking at a screen 24 hours a day. And this in itself is literally causing our bodies to be in a constant state of anxiety. And how I like to see these things is that all these disorders in general can be seen as disorders of the mind. And what I mean by that is, is that when we have disordered thinking, this doesn't allow us to be available to what is being communicated on the bodily level. So we start losing more and more trust in our ability to start feeling. You'll often hear people saying that they feel cut off from their emotions. This is a state of dissociation. Some say that they are flooded with anxiety. And that's where I think a lot of people on a bodily level are experiencing a lot of emotional pain. When we're steering this into the bedroom, and the way that I like to break these things down is, is that when we're in our heads in the bedroom, the amount of time that we actually spend making love, surprisingly, is not actually as much as you think. There was a study done in 2015 solely based on happy couples, and they found that on average, they have sex once a week. To put this into further perspective, this is only 0.45% of our lifetime, which is only 117 days out of an average 25,000 days, assuming that we live to 70 and are sexually active at that age. Now, based on this average, it takes about 500 hours to achieve some type of muscle memory in the body. It takes a further 10,000 hours to achieve mastery over something. What's interesting here is, is that there was another study that found the average time that couples actually spend having sex 
is 5.2 minutes. So in order for that couple to achieve anywhere close to mastery, you'd have to be spending 10 hours a day having sex and do this for 27 years before you've come anywhere close to the 10,000 hour mark. We have an over-expectation when it comes to the bedroom and what we should be doing in the bedroom space. And the question that I have is, is that if we can't really ever achieve mastery over the lifetime that we have, why are we not just simply enjoying it for what it is? That is fascinating. And I would say it's quite reflective of the journey I've gone on in my current relationship as well. And like you've just said there, you're never going to be a master of this and every experience is going to be different. And so why don't we just relinquish the pressure entirely off the sexual experience and actually just treat it as an adventure every single time. And also I love, love what you just said there about the statistics. Okay. That in this happy couple study, happy couples are on average having sex once a week. And that on average, they're having sex for five minutes. Now, this is something that I am so, so, so passionate about talking about because I have a very healthy sex life, sex life with myself, sex life with my partner. But I am so fucking sick of the world thinking that if you are not fucking your partner every two days, hanging from the ceiling, hanging from sex swings, all of these things that you're not having a good sex life in comparison to other people. And the truth is, is that sex is also intimacy and you do not have to be doing it constantly to be having an amazing sex life. I wish we could replace the word good with beautiful. You know, do you feel connected to the person? Do you feel safe with them? Do you feel like okay to have, you know, and this is a bit graphic, but do you feel safe to have your legs spread and your vulva right there in daylight you know, every part of you on show. Do you feel safe to not have to hide? Do you feel safe to not get to orgasm? Do you feel safe to cry if something didn't feel good or if something triggered a memory from the past? I wish we would talk about our sex lives as being beautiful rather than being good. Because when you put it in statistics like that, no one's fucking every day, 500 times a day. You know what I mean? I had a couple coming in to see me and both of them were scientists. And what was really interesting about this couple is that they followed a very similar narrative that you were explaining there, that they were wanting to fit into this, what is normal or what is extraordinary sex category? Because the way that they were seeing themselves as there was something wrong. And a very basic question, I asked them, you know, how often are they intimate? And they would say, or they said, on their birthdays, special occasions, and at Christmas. The follow-up question was, are you both happy with the frequency of how much you're having sex? And both of them responded and they said, we love each other. We're our best partners. We do everything together. We share pretty much everything. And it's not our priority to have copious amounts of sex. And I simply said to them, go and enjoy your life. It's lovely meeting you. So in respect of frequency and what we're trying to mirror ourselves according to what we see in social media and all these different things is really more of a question of how you want to define those parameters with your partner. And I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of is libido, as you mentioned before. And often there's a bit of a mismatch in terms of how high a person's libido is versus the other person's libido being a little bit lower. And the whole idea behind it is if a person has a lower libido than their partner, it's trying to step up 30% 
and it's trying to step down 30% with the person that has the very high libido. What that does is that it allows you both to reach a really nice point where you are both fulfilled with the frequency and the intensity of, of what you're doing in the sexual space. Yeah. I love that. I think we need to pioneer this movement towards having a beautiful sex life rather than a fucking amazing sex life. Um, because I think having a beautiful sex life can be and should be fucking amazing too. And so I think this part of the episode is just holding space for anyone that is going through that and saying, it's okay if it impacts your pleasure. It's okay if it makes you not want to be intimate or less likely to be intimate. But I also love what Dr. Massimo said around when we get into our head we lose trust in the potential of our pleasure. And this is one of the biggest things that I have ever found is that if I'm in my head, I don't have enough time to have sex right now. I have to do this in 20 minutes. I lose trust in my potential to get to that pleasure. Okay. But what I actually find is whenever I just relax into it, remove the pressure, everything we've been talking about today, that pleasure is very often just right there. You know, I'll always orgasm. Most of the time I'll orgasm. Not to say always, but most of the time I will. So I love that around, just like you said, the 30% of trying to meet your partner's libido in the middle. I also think that on days that you really don't feel like it, if you want to try and breathe into your body and try and embody, and we're going to work through that in the next part of this episode, I think it's about just trusting in the potential of the pleasure that is on the other side of your mind. The pleasure is there. The pleasure has always been there, whether you can reach orgasm on your own, whether you reach orgasm with a partner. The pleasure is on the other side of that block. And, you know, we have to do a whole different episode on on those that have not reached that pleasure, those that have not reached orgasm yet in their life. But I want people to understand that pleasure is your birthright. Pleasure is your biological birthright. There are just things that get in the way of it. It's like a wall. And I think another wall is the concept of body image. So I'd love to talk about that. Now, when you're speaking about body image, this is when there's a distortion in the way that we see ourselves. And for me, it's a bit of a double dilemma because on the one hand, you're caught in your headspace because there's this absolute dislike towards your body. And then when you're with somebody else, not only are you disliking what you're experiencing and seeing in your body, but now you're concerned with how this other person is seeing you and perceiving you. So it's one sure way of putting an absolute amount of pressure on yourself, forcing you to become more disconnected from the body, rather than being quite conscious about it and actually exploring what the real meaning is behind how you're interpreting and perceiving yourself. I love this almost wall analogy that we're building around how there are certain things that's, that build up this wall, which prevent you from getting to pleasure. The more of these things that are in play can build up the wall, which can make it harder to get to pleasure, which can also make it harder for you to start the pleasure. So on the concept of starting the pleasure, I think is where body image comes in. Because I think that initiation is a really interesting part of this discussion. Again, I'd love us to do a whole different episode on this. I think it's something that is not being spoken about, particularly in terms of the more generalized, you know, heteronormative relationship, like, oh, man and woman, he should start things with me. He's the man. He should want me. I should be in my feminine. He should be in my masculine. It doesn't work like that in reality. I think that there's space for initiation for both partners. I think there's space for so many different types of initiation. And we need to talk about how to communicate, how to initiate. But I think that body image for me really can prevent 
the initiation of pleasure and sex for me if I don't feel good in my body. And I think it's something that we've all all struggled with. And it's not just a female thing. I know that we have so many female listeners, but I know that that's something that applies for everyone across the board. And for me, I definitely feel like if I am in good shape, I am more willing to initiate sexual intercourse, sexual acts, sexual pleasure that involve me. Okay. So giving, you know, it's all about you. I want you to enjoy it. But when I'm in the equation, having actual penetrative sex or, you know, it being about me receiving, I am impacted by my body image. And for me, when I feel overweight or I don't like my body shape, I don't feel sexy. I don't feel like my my partner's going to want to worship me. And I, I don't feel like I want him to worship me. But again, it just feels like no one talks about this conditioning within us that if we feel good about ourselves, whatever that looks like for our body, we're more likely to be able to receive pleasure. Louise, once again, I think you, you're so incredibly brave in bringing these things to the forefront of these discussions. And what I find as an immediate remedy to this is that the moment that we learn how to step into the body space and move away from the head space, this whole concept of body image goes out the window because it's very much the head space that is dominating this narrative. And the minute we learn how to pleasure and how to, you were saying perfectly there, the receivership of receiving pleasure and allowing these things, because equally what you were saying before, it is our birthright to have that pleasurable experience in our bodies. And that's what our bodies are designed for. In the same process, we need to be willing to step into that to almost recalibrate ourselves so that we can introduce a different kind of narrative, a different kind of relationship and experience with what happens within our body. That is so fascinating. You're right about how the way you feel about your body really only matters when you're in your head. When you're actually in your body, you're not thinking about your body. You're not thinking or spectating around what are they thinking about my body or like, oh, like my fat rolls from this angle. You know, it's the, it's the traditional girl being on top situation where we all joke that we feel like we have five chins and not a vibe from below. But that's when you're in your head. When you're in your body, it's a beautiful experience of like being with your partner, on top of your partner, above your partner, you know, very connective experience. So that is so interesting about body image being less important when we are in our body. And I just want to add on to that as well, that for me, being in a healthy, loving partnership has also helped me to really heal my own relationship with my body because my partner says that, oh, I love you just the way you are. It doesn't matter whether you have more weight on or whether you have you don't have a suntan or whether you don't have smooth legs or or whether, you know, there's body hair and all of these things. And that for me has been so revolutionary. So I think that for anyone that's really feeling this around their body image, I would ask them to look at their relationship with their partner and have you really gone deep into the depths of intimacy? You know, the word intimacy, you always see people saying into me see. It's like that truth of, of seeing each other. And I, I think that one of the things that Tulum has given me, and, and you know, people say that Tulum is a cruel mistress. It's it's a very hard place to live and a very beautiful place. The thing about Tulum for me is it has stripped me bare. 
you're on a moped every day. My hair is tangled. You don't have any products here. You can't buy anything here. There's no fake tan here. They don't sell tanning mitts. You are dirty. You are sweaty. You can't wear makeup. You sweat it off. I feel disgusting the whole time. And that was deeply, deeply triggering for me when I was first here. I felt disgusting. I don't want my partner touching me when I feel disgusting. I was so used to being in this beautiful London, New York lifestyle where I had everything at my disposal. And I was stripped back into Tulum. It's a pretty brutal experience. But that was a very long-winded way of saying that what Tulum has shown me is that my partner loves me in my most disgusting, you know, you guys can't see right now because you're on audio, but I have two of the hugest spots on my face. Like it's literally like I have Mount Etna on my face. And he was like, God, I just love you even more. Like they're so cute. And I was like, oh my God, that is like actually love. Something, something I'd love to add to that is even for people that aren't in a relationship or a partnership, they too have to step into that messy space. And embrace every single beautiful moment that presents itself in your creation of that sacred space for yourself. Because when you are exploring your own pleasure and you are stepping into that, it's going to bring up so many different feelings and and experiences and different thought processes associated with your body. But it also gives you that master reset button to decide how you want to be with your body. That is such a good point because I would say that when we're not in a partnership, we are even more hypersensitive to not being messy, to not spilling the ice cream in front of the person we are trying to impress. And actually a huge part of my journey has been when starting to date people, sharing the mess of the ice cream from the beginning. And I kind of think I can laugh about it now is that I would used to meet someone and, you know, you try and for the first three months, be perfect, look amazing, always have your makeup done, be cute, be funny, dress perfectly, blah, blah, blah. The truth is now I I can laugh about it and I can be like, I am messy as fuck, but you're going to have a great ride with me. And I don't just mean in the bedroom. I mean with life, like we are going to laugh. We are going to love. We are going to fuck. We are going to cry but I'm going to love you and support you. And, and we're going to go on this messy journey together. The truth is now I, c- I can laugh about it because when you are messy, you are removing that wall to pleasure. Because when you're being controlled, you're in your head, which is just building up that wall. Your pleasure is waiting for you on the other side of that wall. It is there. And yes, things are going to get in the way of that pleasure. Maybe it's your body image. Maybe it's a disconnection from your partner. Maybe it's medication that you're on or the stress that's going on in your life. Maybe it's nervous system dysregulation. Maybe it's performance anxiety, climax anxiety. Whatever it is, you need to remember that pleasure is on the other side of that wall. We just have to work on keeping that wall as low as possible so you can just step right over it and step into this space of beautiful, messy, pleasure that is waiting for you on the other side. What would you add to this? Let's go into that. It's a super interesting question because for me, it's a matter of perception. When we see a wall in front of us, like you described perfectly, it's about how to overcome that wall or climb over the wall. And there was one point where you were explaining that it's trying to keep the wall as low as possible, which the way that I perceive that is, is that we're digesting all of our problems on a constant basis so that it is nice and easy to step over that wall. But another perception is almost like using the door analogy. So if you're stuck in a room and you see a door in front of you that's, that's locked and doesn't allow you out, 
Sometimes it's just a question of looking behind you and seeing that there's another door that's open. And it's the same thing with the wall analogy. You can also walk around the wall. It doesn't mean that you have this monster of a wall that's in front of you and now it feels almost impossible to overcome that or step over that. But what it does say is, is that we need to start really being reflective and take a step away from it, get a bit of a different perspective so that we can see how big this wall is and is there another option of actually stepping around it so that it's a, almost a path of least resistance rather than making us suffer through something. It's a very common concept in running when we hit the wall and if you really think about that, it's all psychological. Because whenever we feel that our body has reached its max output, we usually have 40% extra to actually give to the exertion or the experience that we're doing. So the same can be said here, that when we are hitting this wall, it's very much in the headspace. It's not in the body space. So it's pointing to us that we have to start processing stuff more on a bodily level. I love that. I love how it's like, okay, we can, when we're in our head, we can look at the wall. We can understand how it was built, how it's stuck together, what bricks have been put in place. You know, what things for you personally are prohibiting or preventing you from having free flowing, non-pressured, pleasurable experiences? And also, I guess, how long has that been happening? How, how strong is the cement that's holding this wall in place. This might just be something recent, you know, your body image isn't feeling great. It's really new cement. You can kick it down. We can sort this out. Or it might be something that happened 15 years ago and that cement is hard and maybe you can't walk around that wall. Maybe it needs, it needs some, you know, needs a bulldozer, which is I think you and me taking people on this journey of like, how, how can you break it down? It's also about what we're discussing in the part two of this episode is that actually when you get back into your body, you don't even have to worry about the wall. You're just going to slowly levitate up and up and up. And as you're going towards pleasure, you're just going to go over that wall. And it might mean that you need more embodiment or more breathing if your wall is bigger, you know, to help you go into that pleasure. Or it might just be that a tiny bit of embodiment, a little bit of somatic work, a little bit of breath play might jump you, levitate you straight over that wall and onto the other side. So cannot wait for the next part of this episode with you. If you guys love this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when that next episode hits. Please give us a review on Apple or Spotify if you took value from this. And please join us on the next episode where me and clinical sexologist Dr. Massimo are helping you reach that pleasure that you deserve. I'll see you next episode, Massimo. Bye. -bye.